0: so when people hate ads you have to recognize that and i keep saying just to be provocative to my team that advertising is dead as we know it at least so we have moved a lot of money away from traditional advertising into experiential marketing where you're not telling stories but you are helping consumers make stories
1: i am super excited we have an absolutely huge guest for this show the chief marketing and communications officer at mastercard
2: absolutely and beyond that in addition to that sean the author of the best-selling book quantum marketing which is in itself a must read he's also an amazing speaker and bringing together not just the intelligence and the actionable advice of the book but also emotional intelligence empathy so knowledge and expression fantastic combination
1: fantastic combination and you know what everything that he says is smart and apt he also tosses out a number of thought grenades he has some unconventional opinions and he's not afraid to share them tell us one of those thought grenades maybe two of them peggy
2: write it down john loyalty is dead ouch ouch now that if that doesn't send you back to all of the theories and all of the frameworks to work them over, nothing will. And if that wasn't enough, right, talent, not just theory, talent. So you need to have da Vinci marketers, either hire them or become one. Learn to balance the left and right hemispheres of your
1: brain can't be hard. Hey, Da Vinci. I mean, scientist, uh, global artist. I mean, it's pretty easy. Sounds good. The other thought grenade he had, which really resonated with me was, he said, the whole idea of brand requires rebranding. What a brand is, how you build a brand, what a brand means, how what it looks like, what it feels like, tastes like, all those things requires rebranding. We're going to jump right into our conversation right now. Here is Raja Manar. So we all know the phrase, may you live in interesting times. What is it like to be a global CMO right now, Raja?
0: John, I think, uh, uh, you know, being in the global role right now, it is like more 24 by 7 than any time before. Uh, Right, management is a high touch sport during normal times. And during crisis, it is even more so. So you have to be constantly in touch with your people. And I think it's people management is probably what it what dominates the situation right now.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: second is for any CMO, not just a global CMO, I guess uh, the challenges are extraordinary at this point in time. In many industries, the demand is coming down or uh, actually there is complete shutdown, right? Whether it is the airline industry, hotel industry, car rental, etc., They are slowly coming back up, but very, very slowly. So that puts a lot of pressure on the revenues of the companies. And that in turn puts a lot of pressure on marketing budgets. So you are constantly repurposing and optimizing your spend, which is a heavy lifting in normal times. At this time, it is even more so. And the third, I would say, is in terms of the need for every brand not to go dark, because actually at times of crisis like this, uh, the customers, the consumers, the clients, they all expect brands to show up and show up not just with some pretty advertisements or clever advertisements, but show up with authenticity and doing something about the situation as opposed to pushing their products. So that's a complete shift uh, compared to BAU, where you're actually trying to win sales all the time. But this is not the time to win sales. This is the time to serve. There are times to sell, but this is not the time to sell. This is the time to serve. So it's a total paradigm shift, I would say, from being a CMO uh, first and foremost, and being a global CMO, secondly. So this is what it has been, but I feel very blessed uh, to have an outstanding team around the world uh, who are highly committed and uh, who are extremely competent and very, very good human beings. So I think collectively we are putting our shoulders to the wheels and making sure that we don't miss a beat. And if I can just take one little detour, I must also say that you know three and a half years back, I put in place what I call as risk management function within marketing. So they look at all the risks that marketing faces from cyber threats to data security risks, to privacy risks, to brand disintermediation risk, financial risk, everything across the board, and then put plans in place to either avoid those uh, risks from materializing, or if the risks do materialize, to do something very quickly about it. And one of those risks we forecast at the time, three and a half years back, was probably there will be some natural calamity or a man made disaster because of which people will not be able to go outside their homes. So that was a fortuitous forecast, I would say, though unfortunately uh, it has materialized. And uh, so we actually had our contingency plans and the building blocks in place. So when COVID hit uh, us, which we never anticipated, something like this and at this scale and this uh, extent, uh we could actually quickly cut over to our contingency plans without missing a beat so that also helped quite a lot so this is how it has been and it is at this point in time and uh, we're doing our best
1: that is amazing peggy we've talked to hundreds of marketers and cmos i have not heard one say they had contingency Mm. plans for risks including something like a global pandemic that would keep people indoors
2: no Absolutely not. Not uh, not at all. And not also thinking about the ups and downs, complete lockdown, then reopening, then lockdown again, completely caught by surprise here. I think it's really exciting what you're saying here, Raja, because what you're saying is do not disengage as a brand, right? And if you look at it, Many brands did exactly that at the beginning. They didn't know what to do. It was like, well, our advertising is showing a lot of people outside, so we can't show any advertising at all. And we can't get the advertising through quickly enough to show people in their homes, but still enjoying the product or experience. What was this disruption for you? You had a contingency plan. How did this affect the marketing?
0: So firstly, in fact, we had to uh, do a significant alteration uh, to our mix, to our marketing mix, right? So first and foremost, you know, not just during pandemic, but as early as about seven years back, we started moving a lot of our budget away from traditional advertising into experiential marketing hmm. uh, and into influencer marketing. So the whole idea is that advertising has become extremely crowded and people hate advertisements. They're putting ad blocks at scale, more than six hundred billion people and uh people are going in droves to ad free environments like netflix and uh, yeah, amazon prime uh, youtube red and so on or youtube premium now it is called so where there are lots of hours consumed or people are spending tons and tons of hours in front of those in in those channels where we cannot put advertisements. so it's a narrower inventory of attention humongous amount of clutter and reduced span of attention of people. So when people hate ads, you have to recognize that. And I keep saying, just to be provocative to my team, that advertising is dead, as we know it, at least. So we have moved a lot of money away from traditional advertising into experiential marketing, where you're not telling stories, but you are helping consumers make stories by giving them experiences that money cannot buy, but they can get through a MasterCard. So that that has been the whole premise and it has been doing very, very well for us and borne by the fact that we moved all the way from being a 87th brand, I believe, in the top 100 of brand Z to now being a top 10 brand. So the momentum is fantastic in the right direction. But then when the pandemic hit, how do I deliver those experiences? Because most of those experiences are, if not all of it, the experiences are in a physical space. You are meeting your favorite idol or you are attending a great concert or a game or whatever else it is. When everything has come to a standstill, that was where our contingency plan came in. We said, if people are not able to go out and experience those kind of great things that we're doing, we call them priceless experiences. How do you take priceless experiences into their homes? So digital experiences. Now, digital is not quite as immersive as uh, physical experiences, but we said we have to really see how best we can do it. And we were pleasantly surprised. So we have many of our ambassadors, for example, were curating experiences for us. So if you are a MasterCard customer, the ambassador of MasterCard will come online with you and uh, you can actually book that experience with that ambassador and you have a 15-minute chat and then they get some tips Uh, In fact, whether it is golf lessons or cooking lessons, or it's been across the entire uh, board. And then we sort of back it up with some kind of merchandise, which is autographed and all that. And we do it very uh, nicely. The team does a brilliant job on that. And then we set it. So to truly make it as a uh, priceless experience. And also now, because there are many people at home, the household in total, the family in total, can have that experience as opposed to just one individual. So we get in the family Mm -hmm. involved in that sense plus the scalability of these experiences has been terrific with digital where everything sort of you know there is it's one single global village you can go anywhere virtually and uh, from that point of view we could truly make our experiences global on one hand scalable on the other hand and highly economical compared to physical experiences from that point of view and it's a new learning Mm -hmm. and i see that even after we come out of covid life is still going to have a hybrid in the sense we're going to heavily use our digital experiences in conjunction with the physical experiences.
1: I love the irony. You've got a payments company, a fintech company that is providing priceless experiences. (laughs) That's great.
2: (laughs) You're talking about being real and you've also discussed how important it is to have IQ and EQ for success. But being real also means having DQ, a decency quotient which is amazing I'd like you just to define that but what is it and how can companies actually raise it
0: yeah I think probably this is one of the most difficult things to accomplish right most of us we keep talking about when you're selecting candidates that they should be very intelligent they have they should have learning agility they should have the right attitude uh, and they should have the cultural fit and they should have like, interpersonal relationships and all those kind of things. So we summarize those into essentially IQ as an in intelligence quotient and emotional quotient as an EQ. So these are the two we keep talking about. But when you talk of culture and if you want to create a culture which is based on people being real, people being decent, right? You can be ruthless and brutal and win we don't want that. Uh, we don't want people to stand on other people's dead bodies and then sort of keep rising and then play politics. And You have to be a decent human being first before you are an intelligent professional and a highly successful professional. Now, this is a philosophy which my uh, previous CEO, uh, who is Ajay Banga, he is now the executive chairman of MasterCard, he was the one who came up with this and uh, he he's an extraordinary human being and very decent and very humane i would say uh, and very empathetic and uh in fact for example when this pandemic happened the first thing he said is that people will be very scared they're very mm-hmm. anxious there are people all around them who are losing jobs who are being furloughed and uh, and it's a huge crisis right from a mm-hmm. family's mm-hmm. financial perspective so he said the first thing we need to do is we need to make sure that nobody loses their jobs during this pandemic. So he went out on a a webcast and told entire staff, don't worry, simply relax, your jobs will be safe. You will not lose your jobs because of uh, the pandemic. And he said, look, and I cannot do it in perpetuity. It depends on how the whole thing goes. But as of now, till the end of this year, we will make sure that nobody would lose their job. The amount of uh, reassurance it left people with the peace of mind, the gratitude, it's extraordinary. Now that is a decent company. Mm-hmm. In the process, we took a whole bunch of other cuts. We tightened our belts on so many other things, but we preserved people's jobs. That is decency, right? As, as an example of our manifestation of decency. So I said, these are the values that we have to seep through. Like, look at me, for example, I don't fall into a traditional, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call a prototype of what a marketing person is imagined to be, right? Uh, somebody who is, you know, very, uh, what do you call, partying, dashing, and glamorous, <laughs> and another old madman kind of a, a concept. Three martini. Well, we don't
2: know you that well yet,
0: Rajah, <laughs> so. And, and, <laughs> and, I'm, 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 and see, coming from India, with my strong Indian accent, uh, I'm a vegan. I don't touch alcohol. I'm very disciplined in my practices. And, you know, it's, it doesn't naturally fit into what people think about a marketing person's stereotype, but I had been given this extraordinary opportunity, which I'm incredibly grateful for, whether it is new product creation, whether it is hiring our people and giving them the opportunities, irrespective of how they look and how they speak. It's about how they think and how they behave. That's what is most important for us. And uh, so that decency quotient is something which is there. Now, how do companies actually embrace it? I think culture actually gets distilled or disseminated into the company from the top of the house. It has to be the CEO or the chairman, call it whoever it is, he or she has to be completely committed to it and embrace it. And when that person is actually practicing and talking about it constantly, making this topic a top of my topic for discussion all the time, it seeps in. It goes to the management committee, from management committee to senior leadership, senior leadership to middle management. And before, you know, the whole company is actually behaving in a very decent way because decency is recognized, celebrated, acknowledged, uh, and anything to the contrary, which is, you no, know, you see, you call it out and say, hey, that's not how we should be behaving. We should be good people first and foremost.
1: You're clearly a different kind of CMO with a different background and a different way of looking at things. And you've talked about the need for da Vinci marketers who use the right brain and the left brain, both perhaps with a decency quotient. What do you mean by that? And how do you find those marketers?
0: If you look at the traditional marketers, they have come from the qualitative side of the house, which means they're very creative, they're intuitive, They are very aesthetic. Their appreciation and sensibilities around aesthetics is fantastic, right? And that's how they come up with beautiful ads and beautiful communication and wonderful packaging and so on and so forth. All this predominantly requires the use of the right brain, which is the creative brain. Now, on the other hand, when you look at the new ways of doing marketing, it is heavily technology-driven. It is data-driven. It is analysis-driven. And that kind of a approach uh, or need is through the left brain. The left brain, actually, is the one which processes these kind of things, the data, the numbers, the analytics, and so on and so forth. Today, without analytics, without technology, you cannot do marketing. You cannot survive. Actually, that is the predominant part now of marketing. Performance marketing is all about that. Uh, Even other forms of marketing is heavily driven by data analytics and all these new technologies like AI and augmented reality, virtual reality, blockchains. You need to understand, you need to get your head around those. If not, you're actually not able to fulfill your job properly. So at the same time, what happens is, uh, you know, in my book, Quantum Marketing, I talk about the impending fifth paradigm. So, as we are getting into this fifth paradigm, we are on that cusp between the fourth and the fifth. We are going to be bombarded by almost two dozen new kinds of technologies which are coming at us. They can totally enable marketing or they can totally render marketers obsolete, right? <laughs> it's, it's a point of kind of an inflection. And in that kind of a scenario, what happens is when da- data and technology establish themselves so solidly in that space, the entire marketing field becomes very democratized so even a tiny company is able to very effectively compete against a very large company so scale is not going to be an advantage in the future hmm. in that kind of a situation when everything looks alike and all the products can be easily matched by everybody else the one differentiator will be creativity <laughs> okay so it's it's a kind hmm. of an you know, back to the future in some sense in, in that scenario, you need your right brain thinking. So right now to survive and thrive, you need left brain thinking. And in, in future, in addition to the left brain thinking, you also have to be immensely right brain. Otherwise, you will not be able to differentiate. You will not be able to aspect those kinds of softer things that you need to understand to be able to be effective. So therefore, I say you need to have both left brain and right brain functioning. And that's what Leonardo da Vinci was known for. Right, He was a scientist on the one hand, and he was also an artist on the other hand, and an amazing, extraordinary individual. Now, that is, of course, the aspirational model. There are very few people who are blessed with that kind of a capability of left brain and right brain thinking. And those people who do have, I don't believe they would want to join marketing. They want to go and start their own startups, they want to go to some investment bank, or get into some other kind of a profession. And sadly today, uh, an ANA survey has shown that marketing as a field is preferred behind nursing and accounting, right? It's way Uh down in the food chain. So if there are Da Vinci kind of people, it's not easy to attract them at this stage into marketing. So -hmm. what do you need to do? So if you are not a Da Vinci marketer yourself or you don't have that kind of a talent, at least make sure that as a team, you are a Da Vinci team have consciously people who are right brain on your team people who are left brain thinking in your team let them complement and the team construct the structure the strategy everything has to be taken into account to make sure that you are leveraging both sides of the brain collectively as a team you are delivering to it that i think is very very critical and in terms of future immediate future like i said marketing is going to be a pivotal function for many companies to succeed. Uh, to win in the marketplace, and to thrive. That means we need to invest in making sure that we are having the right kind of marketing people who will take advantage of that situation. So the existing marketers have to be retrained, cross-trained. They should get job rotations and make sure that they are fully equipped. And these trainings can be, you know, whether it is online training, send them to universities or training programs, or whatever else it is, on-the-job training, call it whatever it could be, but you need to train them you need to equip them and on the other hand job rotations like for example when today marketing cannot just be an isolated function that is sitting on the side it has to be integrated into the core of the business so it'll be great for marketers to get a couple of rotations at least in other areas outside of marketing in the company so when they come back to marketing they are much well-rounded better well-rounded and they are also able to connect the dots between the marketing actions and the business outcomes very effectively, and they're able to talk the language of the business. So that will the job rotations will be very, very critical. The other thing is to really go to the colleges and the universities, which is where the future talent, future generation of marketers uh, is being actually developed. So we need to work with the professors of various colleges and universities to give them the latest case studies many of these professors have transitioned to academia uh, several years back but in these several years life has changed marketing has already transformed and it is going to transform even more so we need to make sure that we help the professors give them the right material in fact what i do is i actually invite professors to come and shadow me so they can understand what the life of a current cmo is like so they are able to then translate that learning with their theoretical understanding and their own practical experience and really give outstanding inputs and inspiration to the students because market there's no other function honestly as exciting as marketing is so we should be able to inspire them but if it is coming below accounting and nursing not that i have anything against accounting and nursing but the point is you know come on marketing is cannot be that low right and from that point of view it's extremely critical for us to inspire these kids, which means the practicing marketers have to go and give guest lectures and give a practical tonality and context to the students to understand and to work with the professors, change the syllabus. In fact, I'm right now working with a consortium of professors, uh, you know, in terms of how the future of marketing syllabus should be looking like and how marketing should be taught and this is largely based on my book where I have propounded some concepts. And they seem to really resonate very well with the academic community and then they said they would actually be very seriously exploring and so i'm working with them so this is just one one tiny bit Mm -hmm. that i'm doing but every marketer can offer so much to the academic world they should take the extra effort and then do it and one last point when students come for internship typically many of them are viewed or most of the marketers probably they view them as a nuisance value Okay, they are coming. They're going to take your time. Okay, keep them busy by giving them some survey. Okay, go and do these 2000 questionnaires and then uh, compile them and analyze them, which of course, nobody is going to look at those analysis. That is very demoralizing for the students, right? When you're getting these students, they are really bright. They're fresh with ideas and they want to conquer the world. Don't kill their spirit. Let them come in. Give them a real project. Take chances Mm -hmm. on them. And of course, have a light touch from behind, but then let them actually do stuff and nothing like seeing something that they do that takes life right in front of their eyes in the marketplace that can be so inspiring for them. We have to give those kind of projects to the students. So there is a whole set of recommendations that I have and mm-hmm. I've been working, as I said, with this consortium of professors, uh, but I think that that's how we have to beg the transformation. Otherwise marketing will, will lose its opportunity to once again claim its seat at the table and really be the driving function
1: uh, that it deserves to be. Amazing.
2: That is. And it means, John, no spreadsheets, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't know, I think there's some room in a DaVinci team for a few spreadsheets.
2: <laughs> Indeed. There's so much here to unpack, Raj. I just want to bring some of it together before I take us off in another direction. So what I'm hearing is that the CMO has a squad right it's orchestrating it's finding the da vinci team bringing it together and then and then being as you said before it's all about people management so that's the role perhaps of the CMO i do want to get there but you brought up another point you know it's so low right now in the ranks and i'm wondering what happened to the perception of marketers. And you've said yourself, you have to work or there has to be work done to transform the perception of marketing as a con game about deception, selling things you don't need to something else. So how do you shift that perception? Because that's core to getting these marketers and to moving all this forward.
0: Correct, And particularly now the younger generations are more ethically conscious. They are more conscious of the societal values. Uh, and, and that's brilliant. Actually, it's a blessing, right? And I, I can tell you very clearly in terms of our own research, which shows as well as interactions that I have, the kids of this generation, the students who are in the colleges, they're much more conscientious than their previous generations. Like for example, my generation, uh, they are very socially conscious. They want to protect the planet. They want to do good to the society and so on and so forth. Now, one of the key things is, again back to uh, the ana survey when they ask students about marketing the expression was, but marketing is a manipulative game it's a con game which is sad and i think marketers have unfortunately done it to themselves because of their own practices which have been deceptive for decades uh, and uh, i can keep any number of examples right and uh, uh, like simple thing like packaging design the package looks so big the content inside is so much
1: The consumers are not
0: idiots you don't have to be deceptive you can make your package attractive which might require more space that's fine but if the idea is to give a false perception to the consumers that there is a lot more content than there is uh that that doesn't cut whether the consumer explicitly states it or not they feel it and all these feelings will start stacking up over a period of time because Trust is very critical and marketers have been consistently breaking that trust, unfortunately. And that's what has landed us in this place. And in fact, you know, ethics, integrity are going to be so critical for the future. Like I said, when all the products will look similar in functionality and capabilities with the impending technological transformation and tsunami that is going to happen, that is right ahead of us. The one big differentiator from brand to brand will be the trust. Is Mm -hmm. this brand trustworthy? Are they doing good by the society? Are they doing good by me as a consumer? Are they respecting my privacy? Are they deceiving me? Or are they being transparent? Even if they're at a disadvantage, are they being transparent? People respect somebody or a brand which says, I have messed up, as opposed to being Uh, stubbornly defensive and stonewalling any logic or logical discussion right so i think brands have to change their mindset completely at this point in time and lastly i would say is in a a period of crisis for example when i said you try to serve and not sell when you serve in a very genuine sincere way consumers make a note of it they remember it again it could be subconscious but there is a positive impact And when you stand by the consumers during the crisis, they will stand by you when you come out of the crisis. And that's very important. So you have to shift your focus to more long-term, as opposed to how can I maximize my sale for today, for this month, for this quarter. And I would also say that serving and selling don't have to be mutually exclusive. There is maybe a lag, but that lag is not humongous. And the crisis will not last forever. So the key thing I'm trying to say is, we need to do everything to build trust, consistency, authenticity, transparency, right practices. It's it's a, it's a whole package of things that marketers have to do. And that's the only way we can actually regain some of the trust that we have lost as a complete community. And particularly now, if you look at consumers, they're being surrounded by an environment full of trust deficit. They don't know what to believe, whom to believe yes they can't believe the radio stations they can't believe the tv stations they can't believe the news media they can't believe the social media they can't believe the brands they can't believe politicians it's like across the board so somebody or some brand which stands out of this in a world of distrust the brand which stands for trust will be the winner it'll stand out right and that is very critical and it's such a wonderful opportunity for marketers and i and i do hope that you know uh, this will be wholeheartedly embraced uh you know by marketers and then uh, practiced accordingly uh, into the future
1: Raja, this is an amazing time you've been wonderful so far there's more that we want to get out of you and that was a great segue actually because you've got quite a few one-liners as peggy said and one of them is that loyalty's dead uh that's frightening Mm. for a lot of people in marketing that's frightening for a lot of people in branding what do you mean by that? And why is loyalty dead?
0: See, today as a marketing community collectively, we spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year behind uh, the loyalty programs, right? Now, I came across uh, an article. That's how it started my quest into the world of loyalty. I read an article on uh, in, on BBC.com. It said that almost like 70% of people uh, who are in a relationship have admitted to cheating on their partners. Now, that set me really thinking. So I said, in a case of a relationship, A, people are making an explicit commitment or there is an implicit commitment of a partner to stay loyal. And B, if they are found not being loyal, there are consequences. There can be emotional consequence, a reputational consequence, financial consequence, or whatever. In that kind of a scenario, you would expect people to be loyal because A, their commitment, they have got made a commitment, or they have implicit commitment, and they have consequences. But in spite of it, if a vast overwhelming majority of the people are not being loyal in their personal lives, my question is, as brands are we foolish to expect mm-hmm. people to be loyal to us if they' are not loyal in the personal lives we as brands we rate so low in people's hierarchy of needs and hierarchy of things that matter mm-hmm. why would they be loyal to us so this is the first question I had and I started diving deeper into the entire uh, field and trying to see what studies are there etc etc So it is the brands which should be loyal to the consumers not the other way around and if you ask consumers that's what exactly they say so i said so we got loyalty wrong the first day. now we expect that we are running loyalty programs to enable consumers to be loyal to us loyalty cannot be bought yeah. so <laughs> there itself is another big fallacy and finally if you look at any executive in the country right how many airline loyalty cards do they have if the person is a frequent flyer I practically have all the airline frequent flyer cards. I have, for example, American Airlines card. I have United Airlines card. I have Delta <laughs> Air card. I've got all the airlines. For me, it is not, the card is not going to do anything. I just look at what's a convenient time, what's the best price, and am i getting an upgrade in some flight versus some other flight. Okay. I'm going redeem my miles better than some other flight for the right kind of an equation. So the loyalty programs have are nothing but in the way they are being run today. A part of the pricing equation nothing more than that so if it is just a part of the pricing and giving it it's a misnomer to call it a loyalty program loyalty has to be redefined completely so therefore it's a loyalty the way we have we know it is dead that's not loyalty to begin with we need to look at a complete different perspective and I actually outline the framework in my book Uh, but the key thing is, uh, you know, this is my assertion and I have done a lot of work on this and I can tell fairly confidently that, you know, we got the equation pretty wrong.
1: Quantum shift, (laughs) quantum Quantum shift. shift.
2: (laughs) I'll stay with the one-liners. Another shocker, really one, because brand is such a concept and you're saying the whole idea of brand needs rebranding. What do you mean by that?
0: see the, the key thing is firstly if you were to look at the fundamental principle of a water, of what a brand is that doesn't change a brand is something which stands for a set of values characteristics imageries functionalities of, of something it could be a product it could be a service it could be an entity whatever right this particular thing called brand embodies everything about it in a holistic way. Now the key thing is many of the times marketers look at brand as probably the name and the logo as the brand. It's not just the name and the logo of the brand. The name and the logo of the brand are the physical visual identifiers of that brand. That is not the brand in itself. The logo and the name are just a way to identify that whole concept of brand it has to be embodied into every aspect how for example the you know let's take the physical aspects and then I'll come to the second uh, and the third layers of brand and the physical aspect now I say that brand need not be perceived only through the uh, medium of vision which is what I said we predominantly do you need to have brand represented in an audio form as well Okay, because that's a second sense that you have got and uh, it's an identifier, right? So, and audio, for example, why is it important if you have a smart speaker at home and you say, hey, Alexa, I want to buy something. And Alexa tells you something, gives you an answer, and then you make your purchase and go. Throughout this entire transaction or interaction, there is no brand that you can show because the medium is Mm -hmm. audio. Mm -hmm. So you need to have an audio form of representing your brand, which we call it sonic branding as one example, or you've got the sense of smell. So are we leveraging the sense of smell to be able to create a branding identity, right? Some brands they do and some brands they do not. Some brands are just scratching the surface, but that's a huge opportunity. So leveraging all the five senses is extremely there in in front of us to be able to leverage uh to create the right kind of a brand identity and the recognition of that identity then when you go to the uh functioning aspects so physical and then i'm taking a functional aspects so how does this brand treat me how does this brand uh make my life easy how interesting and exciting is it for me to interact with this brand how stylish is this brand people Far up, very often mistake that the product physicality is what is driving people's perceptions, but it is actually the product physicality that is associated with the brand that drives the branding. iPhone, for example, right? It's a fantastic product, I love it, I have it. So this iPhone, is has got complete physical design that is outstanding, the user interface, which is fantastic. Now I can show you 10 other phones which have got better looks than iPhone, that are coming from Far East, that have got better and more aesthetically superior uh, interfaces. It looks exotic. Now if you start marketing iPhone purely based on its look, feel and design interface, you are missing an opportunity in the medium and the long term. In the short term, you'll absolutely gain. But when these other guys who have got a superior product, superior design, superior everything and a better pricing on top of it, if they start building a brand judiciously and consciously, you will be routed in the marketplace. Right? Now that threat, if it is not imminent, you can get complacent. and It is "Ah, okay. That's all theory, but it need not be. I'll -hmm. just give you the example of Korean cars, right? few decades back, in fact, throughout my, I would say, maybe even 20 years back, Korean cars means the quality is cheap and and the cars are awful. Fast forward 20 years now, Hyundai actually has got such phenomenal brand equity. It's unbelievable, much, much better than many other top brands. And they are backing that and they're building that brand promise and the brand value. In such a thoughtful, methodical way, it's amazing. So the point is that's the functionality and the design aspects of it. The third aspect I would say is the values. The values are basically, you know, if you look at somebody like a Patagonia, people who are sort of buy Patagonia and then they support the brand, etc. They do so not just only because of the quality of the product, because anybody else can match the quality of the product. The designs are not necessarily copyrighted, so I'm sure somebody else can do it, and most of them may even be producing things out of some other country altogether. But the point is, they have strongly associated themselves in such a brilliant way to environmental preservation and conservation. And that sort of matters to people a lot. And therefore, they say they're willing to even pay a premium. That is a value-based branding. So when you look at branding, it is the composition of all these. It is not just the single dimension of a nice name and a beautiful logo. That's such a what call, narrow interpretation of what branding is. So I hope that clarifies. That,
1: uh, uh, that like, clarifies it an awful lot. Of- now, we have to bring it to a bit of a close here, but I want to touch on technology. Uh, Because marketers have often struggled with technology uh, on kind of two levels, right? On one hand, running to it in shiny new object syndrome. On the other hand, being afraid of it. But you're pretty bullish on technology, biometrics, blockchain, 5G, wearables, telemedicine, AR, VR. Talk to us a little bit about timing and advice for marketers who want innovation, but don't want to just jump on the next train and get disappointed again.
0: So, most of the technologies that I talk about, those two dozen odd technologies, they are not some Star Wars kind of technologies that are going to happen 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. Those technologies are here today. They're rapidly taking root into our society, into our day-to-day lives. Things like augmented reality, uh, things like artificial intelligence, virtual reality, smart speakers, wearables, uh, uh, blockchains, 5G, 3D printing, they're all here today, right? And if you look at something like an artificial intelligence, it has already entered the world of marketing in a big way, whether you know it or you don't know it. Mm -hmm. All the way from understanding consumer insights or insights in general, not just consumer insights, analyzing humongous amounts of data and giving you such powerful patterns that give you insights that are truly actionable almost in real time today is amazing. And if you don't deploy AI, you're going to lose an advantage. And worse, if your competitors are using it, they gain a leg up over you. That's number one. Second, if you look at again AI, today we have actually created an engine at MasterCard MasterCard in Asia. Uh, And this digital marketing engine looks at everything that's happening in the social media for example and it predicts what is going to be the next micro trend really having identified a micro trend or micro trends it then says what is potentially the commercial opportunity that can be plugged into this particular trend that is going to happen soon or what is the promotion that you can run or what is the kind of communication you can give in that context wow! and it creates a small banner or a small poster with that message that can be straight away served automatically into the various social media channels and it dynamically does A-B testing and optimizes it and then you have the measurement thereafter and the whole uh, 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 next trend uh, starts off. Now, this is something which is happening. In the past, like if you have to create a digital media uh, campaign, it would take us probably about a few days. Now, it's a matter of few minutes. <laughs> and the effectiveness is like four to eight times of what we used to do before. So from those perspectives, I think it's going to be seeping into every single step of the marketing value chain. And yes. you cannot ignore it, and this is just AI. And I can talk about every single technology of that sort. So marketers, what they have to do is, first and foremost, understand these technologies. Technologies, are the term might be daunting for many marketers. There are a lot of material that's available where these technologies are explained in very simple, demystified, plain English. One of those sources, of course, it's a plug for my book. I write about it in my book, Quantum Marketing each one of these technologies in plain English, demystify the whole thing, say what is the impact it's going to have on marketing and what should marketers do about the technology in terms of learning or deploying it in their own business context. And they have to start doing those pilots, get into the situation now. They have to build the talent, they have to build the infrastructure starting today because these technologies, as I said, they are here and now.
1: Raja, this has been wonderful. This has been amazing. I really wanna thank you. Uh, You have amazing insight. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, both John and Peggy. Wonderful connecting with you. Hopefully we'll do it again some other time soon.